Welcome to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. The sag After Foundation believes that contributions made to our culture by performing arts are not only valuable, but also essential. And so we provide free programming and services like this podcast to support them. If you'd like to learn more about the sag After Foundation or access the full library of our conversations or make a donation to support this podcast, please visit sagaftra.foundation. That's www.sagaftra.foundation. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SagAfterFound. Thanks, and enjoy the conversation. My name is Janelle Riley. I'm so thrilled to welcome you to this conversation with Hugh Grant. Uh, since his award-winning breakthrough role in Four Weddings and a Funeral, this is a performer who has continued to charm, entertain, and surprise us in a wide range of roles, from films as varied as Cloud Atlas, Sense and Sensibility, Love Actually, and my personal favorite, About a Boy. Uh, and then this month, he can be seen in theaters in the very charming, very sweet movie you just saw, Florence Foster Jenkins. Well, she's not here, so if you clap that hard for her, please welcome Hugh Grant. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being here. It's such a thrill. Um, I have been warned that you don't really like people fawning over you. Uh, On the contrary. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know if that's a polite British thing, or but you're okay with that. Yes, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, because there'll probably be a lot of it tonight. (laughs) Um, But I do want to start at the beginning. Obviously, you well, maybe not obviously, but you were raised in England with some pretty impressive ancestry, like people from like the military and aristocratic descendants and. How did you develop it an says, It says that's on Wikipedia. Yes. Um, the military bit's right. Yes. The aristocratic bit's, uh, I think, rubbish. But I, I'm delighted it's there. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. I think Americans think anyone with an accent has oh, yeah, aristocracy <laughs> in their background. Um, but when did you develop an interest in performing? Um, it's the same old story. I'm sure everyone in the, in the room, or assuming... Pretty much most people here are actors. Mm-hmm. It would have been the yeah, same old thing, just showing off as a child and doing silly voices, liking the limelight, you know. And at what point did you realize this could be a career? Well, um, that happened in a strange way because I uh, had done messing around acting, school acting, university acting. That, that wasn't my subject. And then, uh, and then when I left university, uh, because I... I had decided to go and do another degree at another university, a sort of a postgraduate degree. And during that summer, as I was revving up for that, um, I went to a screening of this strange student film that I'd shot while I was at Oxford just for a laugh. Uh, and uh, these agents said, do you want to be an actor? And I said, um, well, no, because I'm going off to do this, uh, this M. Phil. And, uh, and then suddenly I thought, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just for a year, instead yeah. of writing essays, I'll, I'll act, because I'd always liked it. So I, uh, I said yes. And, uh, and, and immediately I was cast in a film, actually, The Mutiny on the Bounty with Mel Gibson. You were in that one? Well, no, because... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish I had been. No, it was a nice part. 
And very exciting, you know, that age. Suddenly it was going to be 20 weeks in Tahiti and what seemed like really? a fortune in terms of money. And, uh, and then in those days in England, if you weren't already a member of the union, e- equity, you couldn't do a film. You had to go and earn your equity mm-hmm. card doing uh, regional theatre. And uh, so they wouldn't let me do the film in the end. And, uh, and so I thought, well, OK, I'll go and get a bloody equity card. So I, I went off to Nottingham Playhouse and played Tree in Wind and uh, <laughs> Third Shouting Peasant, things like that. Wait, yeah. weren't you furious? Well, I'm not going to say that in a room full of union. Uh, I'm just uh, saying <laughs> SAG wouldn't have done that. There is a, there, well, <laughs> things have changed now. Anyway, the yeah. irony is, of course, um, Sinclair Bayfield, the guy I played in this film, um, one of the things he did was to found equity. Yeah. What? Yeah, because he always played little bit parts. Yes. And uh, he always felt that bit parts in particular were treated badly. And uh, so he founded, that was, that was the beginning of Equity. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole other movie. Yes. Wait, you should talk to Stephen about a sequel. Just <laughs> focusing on St. Clair. Yeah. Um, you yeah, mentioned, that would be interesting, actually. <laughs> you mentioned uh, the movie you did in college. Was that Privileged? Yeah. And how did you come to get cast in that? Well, it was, it was a guy called Mike Hoffman who's gone on to make... Wait, the Michael Hoffman? Yes, yes. You're you so... S- well, I was going to say red, but what is the word? For, uh, well viewed. Well viewed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also made Restoration with him later in life. And uh, he's made all kinds of films. Anyway, yeah, he was there as a Rhodes Scholar and he put together this film because he was interested in film, borrowed some cameras. And uh, then he said to me, do you want to be in it? If I lost my mic, it doesn't matter. Can you hear me? Uh, and, uh, and I said no. And then he said, Victoria Studd's going to be the girl. So I said, OK. Because uh, it was such a sexy name. Yeah. And, oh, you didn't uh, even know who she I was? I did, I did. OK. <laughs> so I, I did it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm a great admirer of Mike's yeah. films, but I'm not sure we made a brilliant film there. It would, uh, well, I've been trying to find it, actually. Or find well, thank God it's, it's been burnt. <laughs> <laughs> or any yeah. synopsis, like, who did you play? Well... <laughs> I did something rather interesting for me, and I played a sort of upper-class Englishman. (laughs) (laughs) Who, uh, I think Victoria Studd was my girlfriend, and then she went off with someone more interesting, a kind of Mm -hmm. blue collar. And I challenged him to a duel, even though this is set in 1982. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's right, I had to march up to him and say, I demand satisfaction. You know, it was a bit of a yeah. It was a bit of a wank, to be honest. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to belabor it, but I'm fascinated by um, movies I can't find. So, did you win the duel? I think we can have a spoiler alert at uh, like 40 years. I think I get shot, but I can't remember if he shoots me or I shoot myself. Uh, <laughs> Those are two very different movies. I know, uh, but I remember lying in a pool of blood somewhere. But I, th- I think I probably shot myself. <laughs> <laughs> So when you decided to go out and get your equity card, you did a lot of stage work. Like, I believe you were in Twelfth Nights. Uh, yeah, well, that was back at Oxford, actually. Twelfth oh, really? Night. Yes, playing the worst part, not only in Twelfth Night, but in Shakespeare. What? Um, <laughs> he's called Fabian. Oh, poor Anyone Fabian. Fabian? <laughs> Quite often he gets cut completely because yes. he's such a dud. <laughs> you got terrible comedy lines like, Sousa will cry out upon it, though it be as rank as a fox. 
dead silence. <laughs> Nobody has understood that yeah. joke since 1603. <laughs> and is it true you did Coriolanus? Yeah, that was at Nottingham. Uh, then I was third shouting peasant, I think, or one of one of the mob, you know, mm. uh, and various other small parts. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did, and I was I was uh, frankly slightly bored uh, doing these small parts. There was another young actor who'd just come out of RADA, and we were bored together, and also not professional enough. We were late for rehearsals, and uh, the head of the theatre in those days was a man called Richard Digby Day, <laughs> who was very terrifying. And he said, you're very good looking, but very badly behaved. I've, I've taken your pass away and given it to Carl. Uh, Carl was his very special favorite. Oh, uh, sure. Um, <laughs> I just saw a little bit of an awfully big adventure there. Yes, yes. <laughs> that is exactly who I based that character on. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Did he have the monocle and everything? No, he was, he was a different shape, but it was the same tyranny. So what sort of career were you envisioning for yourself? Did you think you'd just keep doing theater? Did you want to do, always do film and TV? Um, I didn't know. I, I was wandering everywhere, really. But when I was doing that, that, those plays at Nottingham, this other actor and I, we were slightly bored, and we wrote a comedy show and um, started performing it sort of in the lobby and in the, the small studio theater there. And it, was, it did quite well. And then when we, after that season, we went to London and started doing it in, pubs and small theatres there, the King's Head, etc. And uh, that was a very happy time. Yeah. It was very good for a couple of years. And it was quite a popular show. And uh, we weren't only doing that, but we were also writing stuff for other TV shows. We were writing radio commercials. And I thought that might be my life. Mm. And then, um, yeah, and then um, Morris happened out of the blue. Wow. This Merchant Ivory film. And that sort of put me on into a sort of film world. And how did that come along? Well, literally, I, I, my agent sent me a, you know, she said, they want to meet you for this. And I, at that time, as I said, I was interested in doing other things. And I remember saying to my brother, who, who's a banker, but was home that day sick, I said, I, I can't face any more of these auditions. I'm so bored. I'm, I'm happier doing this, um, my show. And he said, no, you must go, you must go. And I went and uh, they very kindly gave me the part. And yeah, so that was nice. It was nice. I squandered the opportunity afterwards by doing a lot of rubbish. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, there's some good movies in there. Lair of the White Worm, Bitter Well, Moon. we can't call it good, can we, Janelle? But we, uh, <laughs> well, maybe it's been a while since I've seen it, but I loved it growing up. Yeah, if you're very high on drugs, I think. <laughs> you might have just nailed yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious, uh, what was the, when was the last time you were on stage? 1990 in uh, a play about skiing that was supposed to uh, tour and then come into the West End, but it got stuck in Bromley and, uh, <laughs> after about two weeks and died. I thought I was pretty good, but uh, um, the, the play died. It might have been my moustache. I grew a moustache for it because I, I don't know why I did, but it, <laughs> it came out a kind of greeny yellow color. <laughs> Wait, I don't know that we've ever seen you on film with facial hair. Now that I think well, about it. Uh, Cloud Atlas, I'm sure. I'm covered oh, well, up sure. Everything. <laughs> but you may be right. Um, so I'm curious, uh, how did, well, actually it's an audience question from Christian. Um, wanted to know, how did you first get your representation? 
Uh, well, it was actually, it was a, a, that screening at BAFTA in London of, of Privileged, and uh, it was a man called Steve Kennis from William Morris Agency. Uh, yes. And uh, I remember thinking he was really cool. I, I went to, I, when I finally said, yes, I'll be, a, I'll be an actor. You can represent me. I went to... <laughs> I That's how it works. You say, yeah, you can. Well, I didn't know. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that what a privilege it was, you know, not a, you know, a rare kind of piece of luck. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember going to see him in his office, and he was on the phone doing a deal for um, Sophia Loren. I remember thinking, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, random question. Did you ever see Mutiny on the Bounty when it came out? Yeah, bloody good. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you weren't bitter. You could actually go and enjoy the movie. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> Tony Hopkins is so good in that film. So good, yeah. 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 How was the guy who took your part? Pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, coming out with a lead role in Morris for Merchant Ivory is like a pretty good start. Was it intimidating? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was frightening, uh, I think, to do the acting to begin with. Um, Film acting, I mean, I don't know if people in America get trained to do film acting, but um, certainly we don't in England, mm -hmm. or we didn't in those days. Uh, I, and I certainly, because I didn't go to drama school. So the first time you were on a film set, I literally had no idea what, what was happening. And it, it was um, a TV thing set in the North Pole. We filmed it in uh, the Northwest Territories of Canada. And that's the first time I ever went in front of a camera. It was minus 70 or something. And uh, I had to come out of a tent and struggle towards the, the camera to look for my lost comrades with fake snow blowing in my face <laughs> and uh, look sad and go back to the tent. And I did that. I thought, well, I did pretty well. So I got on a skidoo and went all the way back to the base, two mm -hmm. miles away. I didn't even know you had to do several takes. <laughs> or, or different angles. <laughs> So there was a poor crew freezing their bollocks off. And Nobody I, I had stopped to, you? No, no, I had to be brought back. You know. <laughs> yeah. um, I do want to talk about some of those earlier movies, though, because uh, even if you don't like them, I love Bitter Moon. Which oh, you Bitter Moon, with, yeah, yes, no, I like Bitter Moon. With uh, Roman Polanski? Yeah. What was that experience like? Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> It's such a wonderfully messed up movie. Yeah, exactly. And only Roman really could make a film like that. Um, I mean, it was it, apart from anything else. It's very, it was very, it's very nice doing a Roman Polanski film in Paris because the hours are so amazing. You start work, you're going for makeup at about eleven thirty. <laughs> After an hour, you break for lunch, <laughs> which lasts an hour or two, and there's a bottle of wine. Yeah, and then you film for maybe four or five hours, and then you will go home because he's always out at night. Uh, having dinner and then going to nightclubs with his girlfriend. And um, so it was very easy. Uh, very easy for me and Kristen, Scott yes. Thomas. Yeah. And there were, then uh, we had to contend with Roman, who'd cast his girlfriend, Emmanuel Seigneur, in the uh, lead role, them fighting like cats all the time. And, really? Yeah, and she wanted to provoke him all the time. So when she and I had to do kissing scenes, she'd break away and say, oh, Roman, he's putting his tongue in my mouth. <laughs> I feel like I should point out 24 years later, they're still together, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
so obviously in 1994, you hit this huge international stardom with four weddings and a funeral. Um, I have heard, um, but I don't always trust everything I hear, that right before you made that movie, you were actually thinking of leaving the business? It's a familiar uh, pattern. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, because after Morris, as I told you before, um, which was a good film and won mm. prizes and well-regarded, I then accepted every piece of crap that came my way. I was just so excited to be offered, you know, anything. And, um, and I did these really dodgy miniseries and they got worse and worse in quality. <laughs> and then finally they dried up completely. And at that stage, uh, I wasn't really getting any work at all. And, uh, and to my great surprise, this script came through the letterbox from my agent. And I, it was really good. And I, I rang on. I said, there must be a mistake. You sent me a good script. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I, yeah, then I went to audition for it. And um, <laughs> they didn't want me at all. Um, especially the man, Richard Curtis, who wrote it. You're kidding. Not at all. He, he thought I was completely the opposite of what he saw as the character, yeah. which was really him. And uh, anyway, he was persuaded by Mike Newell and, and the producers to take me. And I, I think he, it's, it's all right now. But I mean, yeah. <laughs> you guys have made up, I presume. Yeah, we've made yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember, I mean, much about making that movie? Did you have any idea it was going to resonate with audiences the way it did? No, on the contrary. Um, I mean, I knew it was a funny script, but I thought we'd screwed it up. And uh, when we went to watch a rough cut, all of us, me, Richard Curtis, Mike Newell, the producers, all thought this is the worst film that's ever been perpetrated. <laughs> We're going to go and emigrate to Peru when it comes out, so no one can actually find it. <laughs> and then they had, they, a few cuts later, they took it to Santa Monica and had a test screening, and everyone loved it. And it was a great surprise. I would actually really like to see that script, because is the first 10 pages just the F word? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as an actor, how do you approach that? Do you like practice different ways? I did. Yeah, really? Yeah, I did. Because yeah. yeah. it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I realized it was quite a big break for me. So I practiced everything crazily. I remember taking my confidence, taking a dent at the read through when there was a, an executive from Working Title sitting next to me, taking notes about my performance as I was reading the, the script. Uh, I remember her writing, Hugh dash more ironic question mark funnier question mark <laughs> it's terrible after 10 pages yeah. to see that happen and uh did you actually have to audition for that role or was it an offer no no i, I auditioned oh you did oh okay yeah 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 very much so how were you at auditioning because it is such a strange specific yeah, skill yeah, yeah. yeah. um well uh, it's it's horrible isn't it it's really horrible <laughs> In, a, in the occasion since then, when I've actually been on the other side, uh, I, I can't bear it. Mm -hmm. Especially, yeah, it's, it's, it's a horrible thing. It's a horrible... I don't know how it, anyone can be comfortable in that situation. But you must have been pretty good. I mean, you were booking roles. Yeah, um, enough. I, 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 I got enough. But um, no, audition's horrible. And uh, I hope they never come back. <laughs> When was the last time you went well, auditioned? Well, it was then. It was four weddings, I suppose. You're, that was the last time you auditioned? Yeah, I suppose it was. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. But, no, but, but then there's a whole other world of insecurity that starts when you don't audition. 
but because you think they, they've never heard me do this. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be on day one of the shoot. They, they, they may be thinking, shit, yeah. we made a terrible mistake. <laughs> and so there's, there's a whole new world of pressure there. But I think every actor has been fired at some point. Like, it's part of the game. Yeah. Well, Richard Digby Dave fired me for being late. Oh. Um, <laughs> like, I don't remember being But I yeah. agree, it's, it's, um, it does happen. So, obviously, Four Weddings and a Funeral changed your life and career in a major way. You won a BAFTA Award, a Golden Globe Award. Um, how, how did you deal with having all these offers suddenly come your way? Uh, well, it was just really nice. Uh, you know, there's no beating about the bush um, after years of uh, struggling around, really. And um, it was it's, it's a huge trip. Uh, I, was making another, I was making an awfully big adventure at the time that Four Weddings came out with Mike Newell again, mm-hmm. same director, even tinier budget in Dublin. And we'd get back from brutal days on the set, very long, no money. And uh, the fax machines of those days with that sort of <laughs> loo paper were coming out saying, and now your film for weddings is number five in America, and now it's number three, now it's number one. And here's an offer, Hugh, for Captain Blood, and they'll pay you one million dollars. <laughs> it was just, so it was completely surreal. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and really nice. What was the first movie you chose to do after Four Weddings came out? <laughs> well, it's, it's the, I, I don't talk about that film. <laughs> oh, really? It's probably one I love, too. No, it isn't, Janelle. <laughs> <laughs> I might have been on a lot of drugs during that one, too. You would have had to be on an awful lot of drugs. <laughs> They're, they were really nice people, <coughs> terrific filmmakers, and they've made lovely films. I ruined it. Oh. I ruined it. You really I, believe that? Yeah, actually, I mean, uh, they, they do. They made brilliantly successful films. You've got Christopher Columbus, he made, um, you know, uh, Home Alone and mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. Doubtfire and all that. And, uh, and he wanted to make this remake of a French film called Nine Months. And I said yes. And then I really ruined it. And it was entirely my fault. I panicked. Uh, it was. Uh, it was such a big jump up from what I'd been paid before to what they were offering me. And the scale was inhuman to my standards. You know, the scale <laughs> of the production, 20th Century Fox, the whole thing. And uh, I just tried much too hard. Mm. And, uh, I, you know, I forgot to do the basic acting things like mean it. Uh, <laughs> so I, I pulled faces and I... Overacted, and it was a shocker. Move on. <laughs> See, you're gonna think I'm like making it up, but I actually do love that movie. And ah. and, uh, <laughs> and I, I, so much so that I could quote it to you, specifically Tom Arnold scenes. Oh, well, he was great. He was yeah, fantastic. Yeah, His first line is, oh shit, honey, I killed a guy. That's really yeah, good. Yeah, I, I genuinely love that movie. I'm not kidding. You're unbelievable. <laughs> Um, around this time, again, I'm going to ask you about a rumor because I would really love this to be true, but um, I know not to trust everything I read on the internet. You were also being talked about for the role of James Bond. Did that ever? No, was that, that really wasn't. That is it not wasn't. true. Okay. No, no. I can't think why because <laughs> I've always thought I brought a natural menace to the screen. <laughs> well, you kind of got to do it at last year in Man from Uncle. Yeah, I did. I, yeah. Well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> and I, I know you've talked about this before, but did you worry about being typecast after Four Weddings and a Funeral? 
Not only did I worry, I, I encouraged it, really, um, <laughs> in a shameful way. I think, that I, I, yeah, I think there was some part of me that thought, people love this stuff, yeah. so I'll do a bit more of that. And that was a very bad mistake. And if I was advising me now, I, I would say, don't do that. Uh, but having said that, we see there were two films that came along in the wake of Four Weddings, written by the same guy, um, Notting Hill and... Love Actually. And they're just, you know, he's a really good writer. And, yeah. and um, they were funny. And I realised the parts were a little bit similar because, again, he was really writing himself. Um, he so saw I, himself as the Prime Minister of England. <laughs> well, I think yes, a little bit. Yeah. He was head boy of his public school. In, oh. And uh, he, he would be a marvellous Prime Minister. There was actually a question, um, as long as we're on the topic. This is the man who didn't want you in uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, yeah. Richard Curtis. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't find the person who wrote it, but um, wanted to know what it was like working with Richard Curtis and what that relationship. Oh, well, um, very nice, really, I have to say. Richard is very good at keeping an eye on the comedy. That's yeah. what he's brilliant at. Oh, yeah. But he now admits that people like Mike Newell who he worried about, who, who directed Four Weddings, he worried about at the time, he used to call, we used to call him Strindberg because he was so heavy. And he, but he actually knew what, knew what he was doing. Yeah. His theory was that the script was funny enough to take, the jokes would take care of themselves. And his job was to stop it all disappearing into a sort of souffle of mm -hmm. nothingness. And so everything had to be meant. You got to really mean it. And, uh, and also he was very good at um, insisting that actors keep it fresh. Freshen it up, darling. Never, never done it before. Or, or, you know, even you're on take 16. Yeah. And, um, you know, now the benefit of uh, 20, 30 years of experience, looking back, that is, that is the only thing to do when you're film acting. Because mm -hmm. the one thing the camera loathes is um, repetition. And the, and the one thing it really loves is fresh. Richard Curtis is also kind of like you in that he keeps threatening to quit. So, or, yeah. or say he's retired, yeah. but I mean, have you guys talked about working together again in the future? No, I, I think he might. I think he might have retired. <laughs> um, I think so. He's he's busy saving the world. You know, he yeah. he's always been a saint. And when he wasn't making big hit films or TV series, he was doing comic relief in Britain and raising zillions for uh, kids around the world. And then he's brought it over here into America, and I, he's doing it here. Uh, and he, you, you can't stop him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there are some movies that were kind of against type during this time. One that um, I actually really love is Extreme Measures, which you also produced. Yes. What attracted you to that story? Well... Um, Did I bring up another movie you don't like? No, no, I, I do. Okay. I do. <laughs> I'm just trying to remember. That um, movie, for people who haven't seen it, I mean, it's, it's very chilling. Yeah, it, it was um, one of the things that came as a sort of benefit with the success of Four Weddings, one of the things you get offered, or you did in those days, I don't know if it still happens, is you get offered an overhead deal, a production deal. And oh yeah, I'll have one of those. And I loved the people at Castle Rock Films because they'd made such fantastic films. You know, when Harry met, Harry met Sally and um, Misery and all these things. And uh, uh, Spinal Tap. And, uh, and so I made a deal with them and then what happens is, as time goes on and they're paying for all these overheads and a secretary and an office, you think, oh, we've got to make something, we've got to make something. <laughs> and Extreme Measures came along 
and I didn't think it was really quite ready, but pressure was such that mm -hmm. we said, yes, let's make that. And uh, so we did, and Gene Hackman agreed to be in it. And it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty good. Michael Apt directed it. Uh, and it was meant to be this big debate movie, or, or they used to call it a parking lot movie, where you're supposed to talk about the dilemma as you walk into the parking lot. I've afterwards. never heard that expression. I think I got that right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's about um, uh, a very famous surgeon, Gene Hackman, who is so determined to find a cure for spinal injury and paralysis that he uh, starts taking homeless men off the streets and using them as human guinea pigs. And his argument being, you know, it's worth the life of a few uh, homeless bums to find a cure for paralysis. And I'm the uh, intrepid young doctor who says, no, it isn't, you know, human life's sacred. And yeah. You took an oath and all that. Until you get paralyzed. Yeah. yeah. Well, yes, I think I get paralyzed, that's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that is actually a scene that haunts me where uh, you, your character wakes up. I hope I'm not spoiling things for people, but it has been 20 years, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're not gonna watch Extreme No, you, you wake up and you believe that you've been paralyzed. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. say you'll do anything. And uh, am yeah. I making you uncomfortable? No, I'm okay. just trying to remember it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is chilling. I mean, that is a scene that is haunting yeah, yes, me. And, yes. and it's as far as you can get from romantic comedies, really. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I suppose that was part of the idea as well. Yeah. I thought, I'll show people I'm not just a one-trick pony. As it turned out, I was. <laughs> That's not quite fair. I was, I was more of a one-genre pony at that time. I mean, it, no one went to see the film. Um, well, well, but you were doing other things like Sense and Sensibility. I yeah, they went to see that. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And was that a matter? I know you have like a long friendship with Emma Thompson. Did she just basically offer you the role? I can't remember. It wasn't, it wasn't in her gift, I don't think, because the film was directed by Ang Lee. Mm. And uh, I think he, I, I, I can't remember. I suppose he wanted me. Um, uh, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it was a strange experience because he's a brilliant director, but yeah. at that time, he spoke no English at all. Really? <laughs> no, no, not a word. I mean, uh, well, a, a few words, enough to depress you. Because <laughs> he comes from a, um, uh, uh, a Taiwanese, yeah. uh, Chinese filmmaking tradition where their directors are absolute gods and uh, they don't bother to be nice to the actors. They just, you know, tell them what to do. And, and a man follows Chinese directors around with a chair for when they're ready to sit no. down. Yeah. And anyway, so on a, I think of day two, I did my first scene with Emma, walking across some lawn, chit chat. And both of us thought we were rather good. <laughs> uh, and we went up to Ang, sitting at the monitor. I said, what do you think, Ang? And he paused for a very long time and he said, very boring. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe the man who made Lust Caution had the uh, audacity to say that. <laughs> yeah. I love Lust Caution. Really? Yeah. But it's like four hours long. Oh, yeah, but it's hot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not denying that. Um, I actually want to talk about some of the, um, the romantic comedy genre because I've talked to a lot of actors who say it is actually one of the toughest genres to do because people know the outcome. And to do it well is actually very unusual. And you, and you have a lot. I mean, Two Weeks Notice, Music and Lyrics, um, Love Actually, and of course, Bridget Jones' Diary, all fall. <laughs> um, I mean, do you feel the genre gets the respect it deserves? No, everyone despises it. Uh, <laughs> I snorted. And I'm not really in the business of defending it. I mean, I never meant to be in any romantic yeah. comedies in my life. I just 
that's what I ended up doing. I, I, I didn't. I never sat there and said I want to do romantic comedies. Um, but you're right. They are. They are tricky. They're tricky in a post 1960s sexual revolution way because it was easier when when you couldn't have sex scenes, bed scenes. Yeah. Everything crackled very nicely. Uh, but the problem I think with romantic films now is that as soon as you've got you know, the bed, as you've got the moment for the bed scene, mm -hmm. you have the bed scene, and then slightly the air comes out of the film. There's no crackle left. Um, so they're not easy. And uh, I think the reason why, say, Richard's films work well is because he's uniquely able to do both halves of the equation. He is genuinely funny, but he's also one of the most romantic people I've ever met. Yeah. He's... Uh, if there was a disease where you fall in love too often and too heavily, he has it. <laughs> uh, you also always have amazing chemistry with your co-stars, which is something that, you know, uh, some people will tell you it can be faked, other people will say it can't. Is there a secret to that? Um, no, I, I uh, <laughs> you're nice to say it. I, I'm, uh, I think it very much takes you by surprise and Sometimes um, the times when you've perhaps had a, a more tense relationship with your co-star uh, looks great yeah. on film. And the times when you've got on like a house on fire looks a bit flat. It's very strange, yeah. Uh, hate translates very nicely into love. <laughs> Uh, I have a couple of audience questions. Again, forgive me if I mispronounce anyone's name. Um, Mary Newsom wanted to know, um, of course, I have, it's a music and lyrics question, so I have to ask. Uh, for your role in music and lyrics, did you have any performers that you sort of used as an inspiration for Alex? Well, <laughs> yes. I mean, I clearly wham comes into the equation. <laughs> <laughs> but I know this, this well, I used to say that doing the publicity for that film, and, I got, I'm, I certainly enraged Simon Le Bon. Uh, really? Yeah, Duran Duran, yeah. Maybe it was Duran Duran I used to talk about. Yeah, he, he got cross. Um, but yeah, there was, it was that sort of, it was wham, Duran Duran. Mm. Have you ever met George Michael? Yes, I have. I've met him with my friend Elton. Oh. Um, <laughs> Elton Smith? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, he's nice. Was he a fan of the movie? Had he seen it? Or? Uh, I think it was before I made that film. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, Loretta has a question. Oh, back there. Wants to know how you prepared for the role of the British Prime Minister in Love Actually. Who was Prime Minister at the time that movie came out? Phony Tony. It was? Yeah. Wow. yeah. Um. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the challenge there really was just to make him not be the guy from Four Weddings or Notting Hill. So I tried to give him a little more gravitas. But it's difficult when you're saying to a picture of Margaret Thatcher, you know, of course you would, you saucy mink. So it's a, uh, yeah, I can't, I, I can't remember what I did. I, most of my prep time was dreading doing that bloody dancing. Oh. <laughs> Do you just not like dancing or is it? I like a dance as much as the next man. Uh, <laughs> when I've had a few drinks or 
just getting ready to go out in the evening and I dance around in my panties to cheer myself up. <laughs> but in the cold light of day in front of a, yeah. cr- a large crew, to have to freak out without an alcoholic drink, is, that's brutal. <laughs> Could you do it again in Florence Foster Jenkins and it's a very nice dance? Well, it's easier there because it's all choreographed. You know? <laughs> yeah. They didn't do, it wasn't choreographed for? No, that's, that was really? the hell of it. I, I know, they kept saying, she should we rehearse the dancing? And I said, yeah, let's do that tomorrow. So we never, did, we never rehearsed it at all until it was, okay, action. And I just started wiggling my ass. <laughs> yeah. By the way, for music and lyrics, um, which by the way was a uh, an album, do we say that anymore? That actually charted on the Billboard charts yeah, here. Yeah, it did very well. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, had you sang before? Did you have any kind of training? No, no. But it, it, nowadays it turns out it doesn't matter. Because yeah. um, you, you can make any noise you like. You can bark like a dog. And the computer will make you sound fantastic. <laughs> It is extraordinary, because yeah. right? we, we used a proper uh, studio in New York uh, who do all the top recording artists. And once they've had a few drinks, they admit there's like 1% of them can actually sing these days. Really? Yeah, the rest are all off-key, way off-key. And then you tune them up. Imagine if Florence Foster Jenkins I know. would live now. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> it would be perfect. Um, Wednesday? Has a question. Um, love Notting Hill. Um, any chance you'll do another movie with Julia Roberts or Sandra Bullock? Well, I, I, you were nice to like it. And um, <laughs> I would, uh, uh, yeah, I'd happily do a film with either of them. I'm not sure they'd do a film with me. Um, <laughs> but I would, uh, of course. Yeah. Uh, I'm still in touch with Bullock a bit. I was uh, watching a. Is it Minions she's in? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so my little boy woke me up at half past three the other night uh, and demanded to watch Minions. And I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't shut him up. So I thought, okay, I'll put Minions on. I'd never seen it. And um, he can watch it and I'll go back to sleep. But it was so good. Yeah, it's very really good. Yeah. And then Sandy comes on or her voice comes yeah. on. Yeah. And so I, I took a picture of us both watching it at three in the morning, sent it to Sandy. She was, she was pleased. <laughs> All your children are pretty young, right? Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> but I think like they're all under four, is that correct? Or yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Um, so have they seen any of your movies? Or do they understand what I've you do? I've tried to show them to them, but they couldn't be less interested. <laughs> <laughs> Set them down for extreme measures? Or well, <laughs> no, I tried the pirates thing on them. So bored. They wanted to go straight back to Paw Patrol. <laughs> Everyone's a critic. Yeah. Um, but do they sort of understand, like, that you play for a living? They, they know that daddy's on the side of buses sometimes. <laughs> but I think they think everyone's daddy is. Uh, a, yeah. um, so one movie that I could talk about for hours is about a boy. Um, and I think this is a project you'd been wanting to do for a long time. Um, I had heard that you had tried to acquire the rights early on. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. I didn't get them. And uh, a man called Robert De Niro got them. Um, and then I can't remember the whole genesis of it. Uh, but it was set up with a different director. And then that all fell apart. He didn't think I was right for the part. I remember. I won't mention his name, but asshole. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> and then a year or two later, his project version of it fell apart, and the Whites Brothers came mm-hmm. on. And uh, I loved the Whites Brothers. Yeah. I still do to this day. And, um, and that was a very happy collaboration. What was it about that role that spoke to you so much? Well, it, I mean, it was a little bit my life, a little bit. Um, I suppose I was about 40 then and uh, single and a bit spoiled. And um, yeah, a bit, a bit uh, not exactly underemployed, but you know, I'd had long periods in my life when I'd been underemployed. So I, all the things in Will's life, like dividing your day into half hour segments, yeah. it all rang a bell, you know. <laughs> and talk about chemistry with co-stars, you and Nicholas Holtz. Um, first of all, can you believe how hunky he turned out? No, I can't. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's him. You can see in the eyebrows, it's him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's amazing. Um, what was your question? Oh, well, uh, they say, you know, not to work with animals or children, mm. but it's one of your best movies and you're working with a kid. <laughs> yeah, well, he was great. And um, he's a really nice bloke. Yeah. And he couldn't be less irritating or, you know, he's got absolute zero obnoxiousness. And what he also had, which I think was nice, he, he wasn't at all interested in show business, really. Really? His mother was a little bit interested, <laughs> but not him at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And look how that turned out. Exactly. <laughs> what do you think has been your hardest role for whatever reason? Uh, well, I overstretched myself with the cannibal in um, Cloud Atlas. That was going to be my guess, actually. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when the Wachowskis came and offered me six villainous cameos in their strange project, I thought that's exactly the sort of thing I should be doing. I, I love the Wachowskis. Thought it'll show everyone I, you know, I've got some range. Uh, and I was okay in five of them, but the sixth one, the post-apocalyptic cannibal. It took about a day to put my makeup on and uh, wall paint and everything, and then I'm stuck on a, a rock somewhere in Germany, and I have to look hungrily at some guy who's fallen off a horse, and then I think stab him and eat him. And I suddenly realized, I have no idea how to play this part. <laughs> I was appalling, I think. Yeah, how do you prepare for that role? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> that had to just cut away from me, I think. Uh, I have a question from, I think it's Laurie Enos. Laurie? Um, is there anything you w- wish you had known at the beginning of your career or things you would have done differently in hindsight? <sighs> Yeah, almost everything. <laughs> I mean, really true, really true. I wish I'd known. Uh, well, I, I, the, the big thing is I wish I'd known that you have to trust yourself to invent it in the moment. Uh, I think American actors are much better at that than British actors. Uh, maybe it's our long theatrical tradition, but we sort of feel, okay, we'll rehearse, we'll rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. We all know what we're doing. We know. Um, our lines, and we also tend to, tend to think we know how we're going to say our lines. And then when the camera's running, we give that performance, whether it's, you know, whatever the circumstances. Whereas I've noticed with American actors, if there's any rehearsal at all in the film, which there seldom is, but when there is, they absolutely refuse to rehearse. They you know, mumble, 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 mumble. <laughs> and all the English lovers are thinking, oh, how pretentious. Come on, speak up, love. We can't hear you. <laughs> But actually, the Americans have it absolutely right. They're saving themselves 
Uh, and even when you're doing rehearsals for the camera, the mumble, 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 mumble. <laughs> and then when it's finally filming the camera, they come to life yeah. and it's fresh as a daisy. Whereas we're all fading by then, the Brits. Again, it's about keeping it fresh. Yeah. Uh, question, oh, this is such nice handwriting from ED. Um, wants to know, what's your process as an actor when you get a script? Do you break it down or just dive in or is it part of your instinct now? Well, uh, yeah, I break, I, I break it right down. I mean, the honest truth is, uh, if you sight read a script, I don't know how you feel, but if, you, if someone came along and gave you the script and had the cameras there right at that moment and said, okay, read it now, you, we've got one minute to read it and then we're gonna start shooting. Actually, I think one would be pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, but after that, you go downhill. And, um, you ha and that's when I think you have to take the whole thing to pieces and um, put it back together again. And that, that's what I do. Every last word, I go through and through and through, especially with this uh, Florence film. You know, why, why am I saying that? Why am I doing that? What does it, you know, how does that relate to the rest of my life? Where does it come from? And uh, writing long, long, ever expanding biographies of the character. And I don't know if that helps. Uh, it, it relaxes me a bit. And uh, maybe, maybe it brings some kind of uh, substance to it. But uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know. You mentioned that you, you never had any like formal training. Yeah. But have you ever worked with like a coach on a specific movie or a specific role? No, no, not, not an acting coach. I mean, I've worked on accents and things like that. Dancing. <laughs> and uh, I just love this question from Carly. Wants to know the worst piece of advice you've received in your life or career. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well... There's a barrage of bad advice after four weddings from agents who just wanted me to do anything, cash in. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what the, uh, what the worst. I will come back to that one. Will come to <laughs> well, that brings us actually to Florence Foster Jenkins, yeah. um, which is such a it's such a crazy story. It kind of had to be true. Yeah. Um, did you know about Florence, or was the first your first affiliation with her reading the script? I'd heard of her. Yeah. I, I, someone had once sent me a, a cassette tape of her. No. Yeah. Is it as bad as? Have you not heard the real? Well, film? only in the film. They oh play well, it at the no. End. You could go on YouTube and you can hear the real Florence. Oh my! It's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> and what was your reaction? I mean, when you heard? Well, I that? thought I thought it was a brilliant idea for a film. Yeah. And then, um, much to my astonishment and I suppose excitement, although also dread, I realised it was a bloody good script mm. uh, that was you know funny and sad at the same time, yeah. and that's always a strong place to be in. And Stephen Frears, who's directed some of my favorite movies of all time, yeah. I mean, that's got to be amazing to get the call from him that he yes, wants to work with you. Yes, yes, I knew him a little bit through the political stuff I've been doing in London. And whenever we, you know, he'd come to our rallies and things, and he used to say, oh, he goes, it's enough politics, let's make a film. And I always thought, ah, you don't really mean it. And then, um, <laughs> to my great surprise, yeah. he suddenly presented me with this film. I mean, the, the story of the... The guy who wrote this is actually quite... Oh, really? Well, it's charming. Um, yeah, he's called Nick, Nick Martin, and he's a TV writer. Uh, writes things like Midsummer Murders. Do you have them here? No. Oh, well, it's sort yeah. of just very English fair. People okay. like it. 
Uh, we have Black Mirror. That's the one we're obsessed with. Black what? Black Mirror. You haven't watched Black no, Mirror? No, 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 no. Okay, the only other, the worst, like, <laughs> if you want to see another prime minister on screen, <laughs> watch the first episode of Black Mirror. Oh, okay. the, and what this guy goes through is nothing oh, okay. <laughs> compared to, yeah. Trust me, it's oh, amazing. No, no, no. I actually think you'd really like it because it's Black Mirror refers to um, screens, technology screens. Uh, and they're like twisted sort of Twilight Zone episodes about the dangers of technology. Uh-huh. Sorry, I just turned into a commercial for Charlie Brooker. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Brooker, I've heard of him. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. he's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't remember what I was droning on Sorry. <laughs> anyway. I get, uh, I get. I can't remember. I get excited yeah, yeah. About, about Black Mirror. Yeah. The story of the writer. Oh, yeah. Just, just that, uh, so he, he, he was a TV writer and actually not doing terribly well at, that, at this time. Uh, work had dried up completely and he had two kids to feed and... Uh, he thought, well, I'll write a script on spec. And he wrote this film about Florence Foster Jenkins and um, you know, wasn't expecting much and sent it off to his agent. And literally three days later, uh, his agent said, well, well Stephen Frears is gonna direct it and Meryl Streep's gonna do it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So Meryl was attached when you signed on. Yeah. Um, have you ever met her before? I don't know if like no, actors no. hang out in you know, clubs somewhere <laughs> together. <laughs> I'm not aware of, um, you know, their Golden Globe winners all gather. Um, no, I never met them. I mean, obviously, that's got to be intimidating. Yes, terrifying. Yes. Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> when did you first meet her? There was a dinner party given by the producers uh, a few weeks before we started shooting. And um, uh, everyone was terrified of her. <laughs> and, but, you know, she could not have been nice. I don't yeah. know. You've probably met her. I know she's probably sat here, but, you know, she's absolutely easy and incredibly learned. It's like talking to a kind of Yale professor. I think she was at Yale or one of those. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's all easy peasy. But it, even then, it doesn't take away from that. 19 bloody Oscar nominations <laughs> is intimidating. Mm -hmm. And also because she had this, you know, she does this thing, I've come across it before with other, um, particularly New York actors who've done stage where they're, they're really, really heavily into acting. You know, uh, it's, it becomes almost sort of quasi-religious experience for them. And that in itself, to the standard English lovey, is, yeah. is a little intimidating, you know, because we're, we're, our basic philosophy is learn your lines, turn up, and try not to bump into the furniture. And, um, <laughs> and you know, these people are really meaning yeah. it and, and emoting. And I, I knew she was going to be like that, and that's why I... I went to all kinds of lengths in this film to try and be somewhere in the same orbit. I listened, you know, listened to, had the headphones on and try and get to, you know, moods and emotions and things like that. I'm curious, um, what drew you to the role of St. Clair? I mean, maybe it was just working with Stephen and Meryl, but it's such an interesting character and an actor who sort of like realizes he's, he's good, but not great, you know, and then has this very unique relationship with his wife. Um, there's so many levels there. It's it's such an intriguing role. Yeah, well, it was always it was intriguing on paper, mm -hmm. and then um, I came to New York and, and read his diaries and letters, which mm -hmm. had been preserved, and uh, he's such a, he was such a tragic character, really, because he he was this lost, illegitimate grandson of an earl who really had no family. He travelled the world. He wanted to be an actor. He never really had much success at it, and. Um, and then suddenly at the age of, I think it was about 30, fell in with Florence Foster Jenkins. And it was a, in many ways a marriage of convenience because she gets a 
rather suave, aristocratic Englishman as her consort, and he got money mm-hmm. and uh, a living and um, suddenly a position and kudos. And so what I liked about the film was that it was, um, it sort of talked about the fact, uh, the fact that it's possible for a relationship to be both completely self-serving, which I think it was, and ultimately there was real love, yeah. it developed into real love as well, and that the two coexist. And uh, again, talking about chemistry, like you don't, you don't just hold your own with Meryl Streep here, which is hard enough for an actor to do, but like you two as a team are just phenomenal. Like, was that? <laughs> was that chemistry instantaneous, or did it develop? I don't know how much rehearsal time you had. We um, had no rehearsal. Oh. It was scheduled. I said to Stephen. God's sake, come on, help me. It's Meryl Streep. Let's have some, <laughs> let's have some rehearsal time. So some was scheduled. Five mornings at uh, Twickenham Studios. And on each occasion, no rehearsal took place at all. We just chatted about other films and you know, politics and things like that. Uh, Frears is like that. He, he, you know, people often think these great directors uh, want to talk passionately about character and plot and things like that. But I have found that the greater they are, the less they want to do that. Mm-hmm. Polanski said nothing. Uh, Woody Allen said absolutely nothing. I, d- I don't think to this day, I've done a film with him, I don't think he's spoken to me yet. Um, <laughs> uh, and Free is the same, you know, I, I, I went for a cup of tea with him after I, I said I'd do the film and I had 10 or 20 very interesting and important questions yeah. about the script. I said, right, uh, here on page five, you know, what do you think of this? And he says, I don't know, no idea. <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, he hasn't got that one. What about this one, you know, when Bayfield says this? I mean, do you think that's a little strong? I don't know, don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's his way. He, he, uh, he does it by complete trust. He thinks you're the right person for the job. And he says, you, you do it. And just very occasionally, he might give you a prod with a yeah. long stick, but very, 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 very occasionally. Uh, and uh, again, I think he's, he's got there uh, through process of learning through lots and lots of films that they, sh- they need to be organic. It's got to be something that uh, it will never be exactly what you think it's going to be. And the best that you can do is get the best people you can, both cast and crew, and just see what comes up. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's absolutely right. You can't micromanage these things. Uh, forgive me for not knowing off the top of my head, but have you played a real person before? On screen? <laughs> that came out wrong. Um, <laughs> well, they've all been pretty fake. <laughs> yeah. I, historically, yeah, I have. I have. I, I'm, in the old days, um, pre four weddings, I, I played Frederick Chopin. Oh, that's right, of course. Yeah. Uh, and I played any number of. For some reason I did lots of miniseries about champagne barons. Really? Yes. <laughs> a big market for champagne baron There movies. was at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you like having research to draw on, or do you find it's easier, harder? Uh, well, you are slightly pulled in two different directions. Then. Yeah. Yeah, because you have the script and the normal process of trying to create a character who's interesting. And then you've got this other source of material, which is the real person, mm. and, and, and in this case, diaries and all that. Uh, and so you are slightly torn. But the diaries really helped me because I realized this was a man uh, desperate. 
He was nothing without her. Yeah. And um, so he, that's a huge part of how much, why he protects that world so ferociously. Because uh, he, otherwise he's back to being what he, I read in the letters after she died, you know, he was back to write, writing to uh, top actors of the day saying, I don't know if you remember me from Chichester Festival Theatre in 1924, but um, I wondered if you might have a small part, perhaps as a spear carrier, you wow. know. And uh, yeah, so there was, he's a bit tragic. And then of course, in fact, what also happened after her death, but we, it was cut by uh, Paramount, <laughs> is that he married Kathleen and was yeah. perfectly happy with her. <laughs> they had a long marriage. But they, yeah. they felt that that diminished the romance of... Uh, oh. Yeah. No, yeah, because technically, I, I'm not sure he was legally married to Florence. Well, that's yes. right. And that was a yeah. whole other subplot to the film that, was, that we also cut. Um, because they never got officially married, uh, they had a, a, a sort of trendy hippie marriage uh, that wasn't legal. When she died, the money didn't come to Bayfield as it should have done. Uh, she, had, she had written it in her will, which is what she kept in that leather briefcase. And her evil cousins, who'd never been nice to her during her lifetime, came while she was dying and stole the briefcase. What? And so poor old Bayfield was left with nothing. And he, this is all the true drama, I mean, true historical facts. So he had to go to court rather reluctantly and sue for it. And he was treated very badly by the Foster Jenkins lawyers. And that, our film used to start with that scene wow. a few months after her death, with them saying, let's face it, Mr. Bayfield, you were just a, a servant. You were a gold digger, were you not? And I'm saying, no, no, I loved her. I loved her. She was my wife. And uh, the whole idea of all that was that it would set up this interesting dilemma at the beginning of the film of, uh, is he a, a good person or a bad person? Is he, is he in fact, the gold digger we've just, mm -hmm. he's just been accused of, or does he really love her? And... Um, it didn't quite work. It, instead of making it an interesting dilemma, it made people think, well, maybe he is a gold digger, therefore I don't like him, therefore I don't care about them, therefore I don't care about the film. And, and uh, people liked the film better when we slipped yeah. it down. Uh, at the end of the day, did he end up getting any of the money? Yeah, he got some, not much. Yeah. Uh, once again, I am saying there could be a sequel. You could cover all this in Florence Foster Jenkins too. <laughs> Yeah. What is it like? Um, it's again, uh, I, I, Stephen Frears is such an amazing director, and I know so often when you make movies, they don't really turn out the way you expected. Yeah. Sometimes they're better, sometimes not. Mm -hmm. What is it like to see a movie like this? And like, I assume because you should be so be so proud of your work. Uh, well, you're very nice. I, uh, I know I'm really pleased with the film. Um, I suppose I'm sure the same as everyone. It, you. You, you look at something you've done, particularly on film, and you hate it. I've, I've, I, it's, you just always do. You hate your own answer machine message, you know. Uh, and I see only faults, really. But um, I am also aware that, uh, you know, it's, the film works and is, is good, and I am proud of it. What you, what, what's a fault in this movie that, of yours when you look at it? I'm well, there was really a, there's curious. A, <laughs> I decided to have one of my panic attacks in the middle. This is one of the reasons I don't make more films. It's because about 10 years ago, I started getting these absurd panic attacks out of the blue. Some easy peasy scene, you know, and you're just, every day is going swimmingly, you're shooting it, and then suddenly, bang, I am pouring sweat, can't remember my lines, and I don't know where they come from. And um, there's one scene <laughs> where uh, I got one of those, 
And uh, so I asked a week later, can we reshoot that? And they mm. said, yes. So I had one again. And I said, oh, oh, can we shoot it one more time? They said, all right, yeah. So they have to put up the set again. Yeah. And, you know, Meryl has to come out of her trailer again. To give me <laughs> <laughs> it's excruciating. So I had another panic attack. And I still see, I still see panic in my eyes in that particular moment. It's only like two or three lines, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's awful. Would you I, be willing I, yeah. to tell us which scene or? No. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I can't even imagine because it's, it's such an accomplished performance and I, I don't see any faults. Uh, well, you're nice, you're nice, but it's, it's there, it's there. Um, you have worked with so many amazing directors. You mentioned Woody Allen, Ang Lee, Stephen Frears. Uh, what is it you hope for from a director when you show up on set? Praise. <laughs> <laughs> Praise. And, and the good ones know that. Yeah. They, they really do. I, it's not, I mean, I'm sure people in this room will agree. It's, it's never done an actor any good at all to say, well, it's not working, is it? <laughs> um, I had that once. I had really? it. I, yeah. Uh, I remember a director taking me aside and saying, so we're on week four. Everyone else is really flying, but not you. How was I supposed to get better after wow. that? Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Um, What's it like to wear work with Meryl Streep? We covered that. Um, uh, Tony Grant, maybe a relative, wants to know, <laughs> is curious, what do you like most about the process of filmmaking and what do you hate about it? Uh, well, I like, I, <laughs> I just, I only really like the, the, when the whole thing's finished and it works. I think the rest of it's just riddled with anxiety, um, particularly since I had the power post four weddings to sort of get involved with pre-production as well mm. and post-production. It's just, it's just worry, worry, worry. The, the script comes up, you say yes, then you're into script worry for months and months and months. You know, should we change this, should we do that? We go through all the drafts. Then there's worry about casting, then there's worry about you know, uh, budget, and then all, I take on all these worries that I really needn't, and then, and then through editing. I mean, Freer's very uh, inclusive and said, come on into the editing room, come on, really? go on. Yeah, so you can tell us about the comedy scenes, you're good on that, and, uh, and so, you know, that's, then you start worrying about that. And uh, th none of it's, it's all so bitty. Uh, and, um, you know, I remember in the theatre, if you had a good night, you really felt that was me. Mm -hmm. I, I was out there and I got good laughs and the audience enjoyed it. Well done me. And uh, with film, you're so in the hands of so many other factors and other people. You can never really pat yourself on the back mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Even days uh, where, I mean, I did a scene here when she dies and uh, it had said in the script, he sobs uncontrollably. And I remember thinking, Christ, I can't do that. <laughs> and I really dreaded it. And, uh, and then on the day, I surprised myself and the crew very much by, I did on take one, I absolutely howled. And um, everyone said, oh, amazing, amazing. And they cut it into the film, everyone says, it's just wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> and then gradually as the film was previewed, the decision was taken that it was better that she died with me dry eyed. So that was that was cut out. So uh, at the uh, that was you know that was a day at the end of which I thought, well done me, I cried. 
but you know, you, you, it's a collaborative process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think the worst thing about making movies is waiting around. Yeah, oh God, that's yeah. what makes me crazy. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, well, the fact is, you know, the technology hasn't changed that much yeah. uh, in a hundred over a hundred years, and um, yeah, it's absurd. It's absurd. I, I would do many more films yeah. if, the, if you could film them in a week. Um, <laughs> Uh, do you like being on the other side of the camera, like producing, having that? Well, producing is like trying to drive a car from the back seat, <laughs> and uh, frustrating for that reason. Uh, I did once manage to actually take the helm for about three, four days of reshoots on a film that I was producing, and uh, I, I loved that power trip. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, I mean, are you interested in directing? Yeah, I would, I would love to direct, I, 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 but I'm getting a bit long in the fang now. <laughs> but that's when some people do their best work. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, question from Sahar. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for the years of wonderful entertainment. I'm curious, which one of your films was your favorite to shoot? Uh, well, I very much enjoyed shooting a film called Sirens in Australia <sighs> because it was just me and four naked girls, really, for, <laughs> for a few weeks. And Australia's a laugh, and yeah. we'd all get drunk at night and play snooker. And it seemed... Uh, and in those days, you thought, well, if the film comes out, great. If it doesn't, I, I don't really mind. I'm getting paid anyway. The pr it was lower, much lower pressure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great movie, actually. Portia de Rossi's in that yeah. before she was Portia de Rossi. Yes, yeah, that's great. That was, her, that's right. was her first role. And Elle McPherson, and uh, yeah. Be, that reminds me, the movie you did with Michael Hoffman, Privileged, Yeah. you were credited as Hughie. Huey. Huey, Huey Grant? Yeah. yeah, Huey, Huey. I was Huey until I was about 21. And oh, I, really? I still am to a, a lot of people. Although, even more people call me Mungo, which is my third name. Really? Yeah. Is that a family name? It's just a stupid name. And, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but yeah, you're going to yeah, say yeah. it. <laughs> Hugh John Mungo Grant. Yeah. <laughs> Do they call you that affectionately? or? No, it began as playground okay. uh, brutality. <laughs> it was stuck. Yeah. A question from, I think it's Mirai? Mirai? Yeah. Uh, great. Um, what are the main differences between acting in the UK and here in terms of, you know, kind of talked about artistically how it's different yeah. like business-wise? Uh, business-wise, I think it might be quite similar, except um, obviously in the film industry, that the sheer scale is so different. I think, um, I, I mean, I couldn't believe it coming from making films for $5 million and suddenly they were costing in America, 60, 70 million dollars. And um, okay, there were kind of higher production values, a few more crane shots, <laughs> more extras. But I always thought this is a ludicrous waste of money. Or, or, and I, uh, you know, for films where basically people are talking to each other, you don't need to spend all that much money. That's, that's what I always felt. And I think actually Hollywood slightly caught on to that now, mm -hmm. sadly. And they, they, <laughs> they certainly pay much less. And, <laughs> um, do you have any advice for sort of surviving this business, the business part of it? Because it is, you know, it is kind of rough on people and, you know, you've, you've sort of joked or maybe you're serious about times that you thought about leaving. What brings you back? Um, what, was, what was the first part of the question? 
well, advice on sort of surviving this business? Oh, surviving. Well, yeah. uh, I, I, I don't, I don't, wouldn't presume to give anyone any advice. I just, I just think um, uh, it's. Uh, I was going to say, don't sell out. Uh, but in fact, I did sell out horribly <laughs> <laughs> before four weddings. Yeah, I permanently did any work that came my way. I didn't care if it was crap. I, you know, I needed the money. Uh, but I'm quite proud of the fact that since then, I've never deliberate. I've never gone into a project knowing it was a bit shit, but it was a big payday. Yeah, uh, I, I do feel smug about that. I feel smug <laughs> about not doing commercials for the same reason and all that. But it's probably foolish. Uh, I. Uh, I just have found whenever you do something for the money, it comes back to bite you. Mm-hmm. Again. You've never done a commercial? Well, not since I used to write radio commercials in the 80s. <laughs> no. 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 That's actually kind of shocking. I thought everybody did them at some point. I, got, I was snobby. I'm, I, I, I quite like the idea of old-fashioned glamour yeah. in cinema. And uh, film stars didn't used to do that. And um, it, it, But in the same way, I, you know... I regret the loss of celluloid, and that now cinema's turning into TV and TV's turning into, into cinema. Mm-hmm. I, I quite like the old glamour of, you know, turning up to a massive um, movie theater and you know hundreds and hundreds or thousands of people watching a film all at the same time. Something a little sad about forty people mm-hmm. in a in a multiplex watching a DVD. <laughs> A uh, question for my benefit. Don't you think Bridget Jones chose the wrong guy? <laughs> I mean, clearly it didn't work out. You've seen the trailers for the new one, right? I've seen the film, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I've seen the film. Um, yeah, of course you chose the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was, was it, I, well, you probably can't reveal. Um, I'm wondering if, there's, if you have any involvement in the new one, if they refer to you. I know what they do. Yeah. They do. They do. They do. There's um, <laughs> a, a long and tortured history to all that. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it is, it's pretty funny, the new yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, great. I'm so yeah. glad to hear yeah. that. Um, and obviously, in recent years, you've gotten pretty active in politics. Um, and you have described yourself as semi retired. Mm. Uh, so, what is next? Um, well, I am still doing all that politics. I, I've. Something I didn't mean to take five years. I meant it to take five weeks, but uh, <laughs> I'm determined to win. We've, yeah. got, we've come so far. So I've got to finish that up. Uh, four young children is very time consuming. And, um, uh, but, you know, sometimes uh, lovely projects come along like mm-hmm. this one. And uh, I was reading one today that's got my interest peaked a little bit. Yeah. Florence Foster Jenkins too, which I'm really <laughs> pushing for. Um, yeah, yeah. You, didn't, you didn't really mean to get involved in politics, did you? You kind of got dragged into it. I wouldn't say dragged. Yeah. I wouldn't say dragged. Uh, yeah. I can't, in the end, I was trying to impress an ex-girlfriend. Really? Yeah, I think I was. She was uh, guest editing a, a political paper in London called the New Statesman, and she, she wanted me to write something for it. She said, I'll oh, write a book review or something. Can you help me out? And I thought, no, I've got a better idea. And I, I'd, I'd met this guy who'd been an editor of a tabloid paper who'd once told me a lot of terrible things about the stuff they get, criminal stuff they used to get up to. Mm. And I thought, um, I'm going to go and see him and tape him, secretly tape him, and publish that. And I did. Wow. Yeah, and it created a bit of a stir. 
Yeah, to say the least. Yeah. And how have things sort of changed? Like, I see you're on Twitter now. Um, I hate Twitter. You hate Twitter? No. I, I resist. I didn't want to do it at all, but my political comrades insisted that I got. And that's why it's such an extraordinary dull account. Um, I only tweet things about press regulation in the UK. I've got about four followers. <laughs> I don't think that part's true, but um, so you, you don't, but you use it to promote the film as well. No, I, I, I don't refuse to do that. Really? Yeah. You know, Paramount's here. They might not like hearing that. Yeah, tough tits. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> so it's strictly for the political. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. But it has like changed so much. I mean, you know, I, I think of Notting Hill and how intrusive, you know, it is. For, for the movie star in that movie, and if you yeah. made that movie today, it would be TMZ. Uh, well, yeah, here, but the, the, the people misunderstand uh, what the campaign is. It's not at all about the plight of celebrities and uh, you know press. It, it, I'm not really interested in celebrities. It, it's it was about two other much more important issues. One is that the, the, a few big media owners really run Britain. They choose mm -hmm. our prime minister. They choose our policy. Uh, when phony Tony went to war in Iraq, he was on the phone to Rupert Murdoch for something like 15 hours beforehand, really taking orders. And uh, I am one of the people who thinks that's wrong. Uh, you know, <laughs> we should be run by the people we elect, not by powerful uh, newspaper bosses. So it's really about that. And, uh, and the fact that therefore these, uh, such is their power, they're allowed to live above the law. And uh, so we had the situation where soldiers, families who lost a, a, a son in a war, they'd have their phones hacked to get the sort of sentimental juicy story or people who'd been blown up in the uh, terrorist bombings in 7th of July, uh, that was happening to them. There was a young girl who was abducted and subsequently murdered and they hacked her phone. And the result of hacking her phone was that it, it, her family were calling her all the time, trying to see if she was alive. And because her phone was hacked, it sounded like she was alive because the messages had been deleted. Mm. And um, this, this, this is an obscenity. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, so we felt it was time to make a fuss. And it's a fight still going on. Well, we, we, got, we got a whole public inquiry to happen. Yeah. Lasted a year. It was a big deal. And the, the law was changed, voted for by the whole of parliament. And we thought that's a victory. And now this government is trying to wriggle out of it because Again, they're terrified of the big newspaper bosses. Mm -hmm. So our job is to hold their feet to the fire and make them stick to it. I hate to sound opportunistic, but this would make a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, George Clooney's making it. Oh, you're um, kidding! Well, the guy who really exposed the whole mm -hmm. hacking scandal, and Nick Davis, the journalist at The Guardian, wrote a book, and Clooney has bought the rights, and uh, a script has been written. But I don't know what will happen because uh, he certainly doesn't have an ending yet. No one knows what, what, how this will all transpire. Well, that was the problem with Zero Dark Thirty, and then they got an ending as they were making the movie. Yes, so. I suppose that's right. He said not really remembering that film. <laughs> well, they, they cut in line. Okay. Yeah. Right. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. That's Spoiler fine. alert again. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so who would you like to see play you if that movie's made? Yes, I feel uncomfortable about it. I, I'm a great <laughs> fan of Clooney, but I feel uncomfortable. I quite like the fact that I had two lives, a showbiz yeah. life and a political life, and I, the idea of the melding makes me feel queasy. I have the perfect suggestion. What's that? Nicholas Holt. 
<laughs> How great would that be? That would be genius. He's had plenty of research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I do want to remind people that Florence Foster Jenkins is in theaters this month. It, I can't say enough about this movie, um, so I won't even try. But it is, I, I, I think I actually hurt afterwards because I was smiling no. during the entire thing. And I think it will particularly speak to artists. Um, thank you so much for being here. You're really nice to have you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. If you appreciated what you heard, please support us with a review or donation. And reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at SAG-AFTER-FOUND. We'd love to hear from you.